You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hi everyone. Welcome back to the BT Powerhouse podcast. It is Monday evening. On, uh, what is this, October 23rd, as always, I'm the host of BT Powerhouse and the site manager, Thomas Bendit, and we're here with another follow-up on our season preview series, and tonight we're going to be talking about a team that has made the NCAA tournament for, I want to say, three, three years running now, and that's the Maryland Terrapins. They're coming off a solid season, maybe a little bit of a step back from where they were the year prior, but certainly a good season from start to finish for the team. And, you know, we'll, we'll dive into, excuse me, we'll dive into the, the roster, the schedule, um, basically everything here in a minute or two once we're joined by our, uh, our guest from Tito Times which is SB Nation's Maryland site. Uh, Thomas from that site will be joining us. So there'll be two, two Thomases <laughs> tonight. But, yeah, so to jump in, you know, some general thoughts here on Maryland. Um, Mark Turgeon is back for what will be his seventh season with the program. As mentioned, they have a three-year NCAA tournament streak. They won 24 games in each of the past three seasons. Their advanced stats aren't necessarily as impressive as their overall record and resume, but they do have a, a really um, nice nice run here, I would say. Uh, they're actually, if you sit back, they've won at least 12 games in the Big Ten in each of the last three seasons, um, which I believe, outside of maybe Wisconsin, is the highest number in the Big Ten. But, uh, you know, as mentioned, you know, they made the Sweet 16 two years ago. Last year, they fell in the first round to Xavier, but a solid season. I, I would say the big the big storyline for what the Terps are going to have to overcome this season are the offseason departures, specifically Melo Trimble, who has been the do-it-all point guard for the, the Terps for a couple years running now. But it should, it should be interesting. They do have talent coming back. Um, Cohen, Herter as well as Justin Jackson, are all potential All-Big Ten candidate players. So that's a, a great starting base for the program and should really set things up well for the future for Maryland. But um, I, do, I do have them as one of the better teams in the Big Ten uh, coming into this season. If you're a believer in Ken Palm, which I know Maryland fans are generally not, uh, the Terps, uh, you know, Ken Palm released his ratings over the weekend. They came in 41st, which is good enough for, uh, what? what is this, 7th, 8th, 8th in the Big Ten. Wow. Um, surprise, sorry, I, these rankings are very new, so I'm, I'm still kind of getting used to them. But they are 8th 
in Ken Palm's rankings, projected for a 99 record in Big Ten play, projected for an overall record of 19-11, which certainly not what Maryland fans are hoping for, but would not be the first season that Maryland proves Ken Palm wrong. But looks like our, our guest is on here with us. Um, Thomas, how's it going this evening? I'm doing all right. How are you? Good, good. Happy to have you on. Um, before we uh, we jump into the, the podcast here and, and preview Maryland, um, I believe this is the first time we've had you on the, the BT Powerhouse podcast. Um, why don't you tell us a, a little bit about yourself uh, and what, what brings you uh, to covering the turf? Um, well, it's uh, about as simple as I go to Maryland and uh, uh, journalism major, do a lot of that stuff. And um, actually, Test Studio Times was a place I found out about you know, pretty early my freshman year. And I covered women's basketball as a freshman and after a detour at Maryland softball, which we don't talk about here. Um, covered football <laughs> you know, and both men's and women's basketball for the last year. And then uh, now I'm actually managing editor of the site uh, at junior at Maryland right now and uh, trying to use this as sort of a stepping stone, I guess. But for now I'm here, covering Maryland and, uh, Glad to be here. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're happy to have you and uh, excited to, to jump into the Terps. Uh, well, Thomas, I'm not, I'm not sure how much you've heard of, you know, we're rolling through our, our season previews here on uh, BC Powerhouse, but uh, I always like to start our, our preview podcast with sort of a look back at last year. You know, it sort of sets the table for, for what's to come. Um, the Terps, as, as I mentioned earlier uh, in the podcast, they make the NCAA tournament. They do fall to Xavier, and really they have one of the more interesting uh, resumes, so to speak, in college basketball. You know, a lot of wins, a lot of quality wins, but not necessarily a ton of elite wins. Um, but they were a young team. Uh, what, what did you make of the Terps last year, you know, the overall season, and what do you think it means for the uh, season to come? Yeah, well, last year, you know, it was one of those – um, they started, I believe, 22, which got got a ton of people's hopes up. It actually got them kind of recognized nationally as like, hey, they're this like kind of sleeper team because they had reached 22 without, you know, having to beat a ton of great teams to do it. Um, and they they slipped, um, which was understandable and kind of expected, and faced a little bit of injury, uh, question marks down the stretch and kind of had an early exit in the big time tournament and then one and done the NCAA tournament and that was it and that was the whole thing. And so it was a bit of an up and down season. You, you know, it was they didn't have a ton of, as you said, elite wins. Um, the, the best win they ended up having was probably at Michigan and that wasn't even clear until Michigan, like, went pretty far in the tournament. So, um, you know, a lot of Maryland fans are hoping to maybe pick up a, I guess, bigger win this year. Um, I, among other things, you know, get back to the dance, go further. Um, with with the three sophomores coming back now, um, after pretty good freshman seasons, Anthony Cowan, Kevin Herbert, Justin Jackson, um, those three guys, assuming they all, you know, take the step forward you would expect. Um, then Maryland should definitely be in a similar position to where it ended last year. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I'd agree that that Michigan win was probably the best one overall. You know, as I mentioned, it, it's one of those. Uh, I, I don't think it was intentional, but they ended up with just a lot of wins against good teams, but just not not the great teams. And uh, you know, and it, it ended up showing up at the end of the season when they had you know some of the more challenging uh, matchups. But uh, I, I did want to ask one more question about last season before we move ahead and. You know, that was the Big Ten tournament. I, I think a lot of people forget, you know, certainly it was it was disappointing uh, for the Terps to go down the way they did. Um, do you feel like that was a missed opportunity at all? I mean, they had essentially home court advantage with the tournament in D.C. They get knocked out uh, with a quick exit. Um, do you think that was a missed opportunity at all, or was it just, you know, they got beat by a, a tough opponent that day? Um, I definitely consider it a missed opportunity. I mean, it's – you know, it's very rare to be the home team for a conference tournament for a, ter- for a conference that big. I mean, most Power Five conferences would have, you know, their tournaments at some neutral site. And I mean, and this is technically a neutral site, but it's a, you know, it's a, it's on the, it's on the green line. It's on the met- It's a metro's drive away from campus. And so, you know, it, the building was filled with Maryland fans and. You know, the, when you had a chance to play three games and you could only you only end up playing one and you lose it, it's you know it would it could, they could have pretty much owned the weekend there, and that ended up not being how they did it, which it, it was definitely a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I tend to agree, um, but nonetheless, it's you know it it's the past is the past, and uh, we move forward. Um, so, you know, moving from last season into this season, you know, the big thing to talk about is obviously the off-season departures, specifically the loss of Mello Trimble, you know, arguably one of, you know, it's probably not even arguable. It's, it's just a fact, you know, he's one of Maryland's all-time best players. His career numbers speak for themselves. He gets them to the NCAA tournament three times. I mean, countless, countless games where he pulls it out at the last minute, um, of course, Maryland is losing some guys along with him, uh, primarily Dodd. Uh, what do you make of the off-season departures this year? And I'm, I assume the answer to this question is, uh, is probably pretty clear, but can they replace Trimble uh, coming into this year? Yeah, I think it's um... – you know, replacing Trimble is kind of a tricky thing because if, if you try and have someone do what Melo did, then it won't work necessarily. I mean, they kind of ran a sort of two-point guard system last year with Trimble and Anthony Cowan, and I guess with Trimble gone, they would probably just switch the system up and make Cowan the primary ball handler um, and kind of move Kevin Herter up, get a little bigger. Um, So I think it would, I don't think it would change, you know, they need to do a ton to replace him, but what Trimble was, was you know, an ace and he could create his own shot when you needed somebody to do that. And, you know, that's what this team necessarily seemed to have at the moment. Um, That's what, that's why a bunch of the younger players need to, you know, take that step forward to, to compensate for that. Um, The other departures, yeah, DeMonte Dodd uh, was, you know, sort of an inconsistent player, but a pretty reliable player. Um, and 
you know, LG Gill was sort of just a rotational guy. Uh, Jalen Brantley was a rotational guard. Um, so they don't have any of those guys, but they do have Bruno Fernando coming in, uh, Darren Morsell coming in, who could probably be that combo guard. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's their Trimble's departure does leave questions, but it's it, it feels pretty clear what they will do to answer them. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard for any team to realistically try to replace a player like Trimble. I mean, I, I think you could argue that, you know, him and probably Peter Jock are the biggest departures in the Big Ten this offseason. Uh, you know, I, I, a lot of people are probably going to point to Swanigan as well, but uh, I, I don't think Swanigan had the had the same just total impact for the team as, as guys like Trimble and Jock. They just really carried their teams uh, a lot of the way and. You know, as you talked about, uh, Trimble was just an ace, especially in the final five minutes. I mean, just so many games he would he would pull out there. But uh, Dodd, Dodd, too, I, I think that's an, a departure overlooked by a lot of people. As you mentioned, really consistent, really nice on the defensive end. And he just he did a lot of the little things that I think helped Trimble and other guys offensively, you know, setting screens, getting a key rebound, um, things like of that nature. But should be interesting, but as you mentioned, you know, they are bringing in some new pieces. You talked about uh, Fernando. Uh, what, what do you make of this recruiting class coming in for the Terps? Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I think they're bringing in a transfer. Uh, I don't have my notes in front of me, unfortunately. Um, what, what do you make of, of the new additions, and how are they going to impact the Terps this season? Yes, I mean, I think Fernando is the big piece out of it. Um, he was sort of a four-star recruit, but everyone who's, like, watched him play says he could be, you know, really special, um, you know, a pro prospect and everything. So, I mean, I, he could be – he's probably the sort of X factor of this preseason, and however good he is right away um, has as big an impact on Maryland's ceiling as any specific player. Beyond that, I think it's more sort of clear where the other guys will go. Dara Morsell um, – will, as I mentioned earlier, slide into the kind of a combo guard role. Um, and they added Sean Opie from Duke, who hardly yeah, ever played at Duke. Hasn't been healthy since he was at Rice uh, several years ago. So, I mean, if he's a, you know, solid rebounder um, and post presence, they'll definitely appreciate that. Um, and then Joshua Tomajic is not really an addition because he was part of the 2016 recruiting class, but he was a – he redshirted last year, so this will be the first uh, most fans get to see of him. Um, I don't even know his game too, too well. I think he, he's more of a sort of a wing forward, kind of a 3-4 hybrid in college. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he brings and how how well he – uh, fits in right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think this is an underrated group coming in. Um, you know, you mentioned Obi. I, I think he's he comes across as a guy who's probably going to do more reserve minutes. Uh, as I said, he he was the guy I was forgetting about uh, when I was trying to uh, remember the transfer. Uh, but yeah, Fernando's going to be very intriguing. I think this is a guy who, who was really under the radar as a high school prospect until the, the very end and certainly looks like he can contribute for the Terps. And I, I think the one 
uh, piece of good news, you know, as you talked about, is two guys to potentially help you up front to replace Dodd, maybe even uh, improve off of what he did. You know, Dodd, obviously, great defensive guy, but not not elite offensively. So, I mean, that would be uh, really nice if you could sort of take a step forward there and, uh, um, you know, rotate some other guys in as well in the backcourt and on the wing. So, should be interesting, but... You know, we talked about, you know, last season, who's leaving, who's coming in. Um, let, let's get into this year's team a little bit more. Um, coming into the season, you know, uh, Maryland, I don't want to say they're an unknown. They're bringing back some really proven guys. But uh, there are some question marks around them. So what, what are some things fans should be optimistic about? And conversely, what are some things fans should be concerned about things that could go wrong and, and maybe prevent the team from continuing its NCAA streak. Yeah. Well, um, I think that, you know, the team is centered around right now. It's the whole, everything's going to revolve around Anthony Cowan, Kevin Herter, Justin Jackson, uh, the three sophomores, you got your point guard, you got your two wings, including a guy who could be a stretch four. Um, all those guys had very solid freshman seasons. Um, and you would expect all of them to, you know, take a step forward. And that's what Maryland's going to need because I think the the big question is, you know, because Trimble was last year's leading scorer, and he was the he was the guy who could create his own shot. And so when everything else failed, you had Melo Trimble. And we're not sure at this point what do you do when things break down and someone needs to just take matters into his own hands. Who is that guy? Um, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't be super worried about it, but I think that is the question because, you know, it'll, it'll depend, it'll change how Maryland does a lot of things this year, uh, whether that guy is hurt or, or Cowan or Jackson or some combination of all three, or even if somehow it's Fernando. Um, but, those three guys, and I think that the one other both um, X-Factor X question mark guy is Michael Tchaikovsky, who's, you know, an athletic seven-foot center, um, very good inside uh, offensively and defensively when he's healthy. And, you know, he's been battled, he's battled injuries his whole career. Um, I'm I'm very interested to see just if he's healthy this year, you know, what's his feeling and how much can he contribute? I think he'll be their starting center, but, um, you know, if he can put a full year together, I'm excited to see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those are good points. You know, I know for me, I'm I'm looking at my sheet right here, and I, I think the two big things I'm really optimistic as far as this season is to start off with, I mean, Cowan, Herder, Jackson, that is a – dynamite big three. I know there are still questions about, you know, for Jackson, how much is he going to elevate his game? You know, can some of these players, you know, maybe play a little bit more than they did last year, take a little more possessions. I mean, obviously those, those are going to be questions, but I think you would be pretty hard pressed to find a better top three in the big 10 for this season. You know, maybe Michigan state could have it, maybe Minnesota, but I mean, there's nobody else where I'm, definitely taking that top three. So, I mean, that's a great place to start. Moreover, I mean, there's a lot of talent. You know, you talked about some of it. You know, a Fernando, a, a younger guy who can still elevate himself. 
uh, Tchaikovsky, who uh, is sort of hit or miss. You know, sometimes he looks like a really nice player. Sometimes he looks like a guy who shouldn't be out there. Uh, but I, I think, you know, there's certainly talent there. I, I think there's talent at other positions on the team, too, you know, with, with this incoming class, some of the younger guys who are uh, working their way up, so to speak. So, I mean, I, I think those are two things to really be excited about. And, you know, we should mention, you know, I know some people are a little bit frustrated with how some of the seasons have ended um, recently, but Turgeon has shown that he can put a lineup together for a season, get the most out of it, and find a way to win games, which at the end of the day is the most important thing. So I I think those are are three big reasons to be optimistic. Uh, The concerns, you know, I I think you're spot on. You know, who's going to be the go-to guy? Can any guy elevate to not just an all-Big Ten level, but first team, uh, even second team level, so you can have that go-to guy at the end of games who's going to carry them against the, the toughest opponents, you know, at Michigan State or Purdue or what have you. So that I, I think that's a big question. And, you know, the front court, I know people are optimistic about Fernando. I just, you know, we touched on Chavosky, you know, totally can go one way or the other. We'll see. But it is a question mark. I, I'm not sure how that unfolds at the end of the day. I, I think it has the potential to be really good. I think it has the potential to be really underwhelming and inconsistent as well. So, you know, we'll have, we'll have to stay tuned on, on that one. But I, I think that's a, a potential concern. But otherwise, uh, it, it looks to be a, a pretty solid uh, team coming into the season. But um, with that, you know, we have talked about that big three. We've talked about, you know, some of the guys with the, the high-end potential um, you know, last year and really the last couple of years, it's been pretty obvious who Maryland's top player has been, and that has been uh, Melo Trimble. Um, I, I know you talked about you're not sure who's a, who's a, who it's going to be. Excuse me. Um, do you, if you had to pick one uh, right now, who who would you pick? Who do you think is going to be that the top guy on the team, and who do you think is going to be uh, taking the big shots at the end of the game? Um. I think this is this is one where a lot of reasonable minds can disagree, but I personally would guess Kevin Herter. Um, I feel like he's probably the most well-rounded of those three right now. Um, he plays offense and defense. He was, you know, he's six-seven, knockdown shooter, but he was also a point guard in high school, so he had that in him. Um, I think he's someone who can definitely you can definitely see a lot more of. Um, there were times last year where it seemed like he kind of just disappeared because they didn't really need him to do too much. Um, and you would see him in for, for just a spot up three occasionally, but they'll need a lot more from him. And I think he's the kind of player who can absolutely deliver that. Um, Jackson too. Jackson was a, I think he shot 44% for three last year, even though he didn't take a ton. Um, and he's, you know, he's six, seven and can do that. So, They'll, they'll need a lot more of that. But I think for for the overall package, I think for the go-to guy you would want, I, I think Herter probably fits that description best. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, I think it'll be him or Colin. It, it'll be interesting to watch. But, you know, I, I don't necessarily think there's a front runner as you've said a couple of times, and I, I think it'll go down to the uh, the finish line here and, until we figure out who is uh, the top guy. But um, 
but with that, I, I do want to jump into a little bit of the, the fun stuff, so to speak. Um, let's, let's jump into the schedule here for a minute. You know, the Terps, as we mentioned, didn't have a ton of elite wins last year. They had a lot of wins against quality opponents, but not necessarily fantastic opponents. Um, they have a, what looks to be a pretty challenging non-conference schedule. They get a road game at Syracuse. They get Butler um, in the Gavit games. They're going to get Stony Brook on a neutral court who wasn't fantastic last year but has made the tournament recently. Um, they'll get some more uh, quality mid-major teams like Ohio. And then, um, you know, of course, we'll, we'll talk about Big Ten play in a minute. But any reactions to the non-conference play? What are you looking forward to? Um, and what are some of the games to watch for you? I uh, I remember being very underwhelmed actually by the conference schedule. Even <laughs> even though it's like, I mean, it's just when when there are no sort of there there aren't a ton of signature teams in the Big Ten, and so to get those big matchups that you would want just to have on your resume, whether you win or lose them, um, you know, you would need you would want one or two of those out of conference, and. You know, I mean, Butler isn't quite that. Syracuse isn't quite that. Um, it's it's a little disheartening for Big Ten ACC Challenge. Maryland spent so long in the ACC, and this is now the second year in a row where they've played a team that they shared the conference with for one year. Um, they played Pitt last year. Long-time ACC rival Pitt, um, and, and now Syracuse. So it's, you know, they Maryland fans – they all want Duke, and a lot of people want Maryland Duke in this, and I, under, I, I understand why they don't do it that way. Um, but you would want somebody that you know that there's there's a bigger history against for that. Um, I think Butler's probably the the marquee matchup of this. Um, it's at home. Butler made the Sweet 16 last year, even though it did lose a lot of a lot of pieces. Um, yeah, I mean that's one to keep an eye out. Beyond that, there's a lot of like potential trap-ish games where there's, you know, teams like St. Bonaventure that if you lose to, it doesn't look good. But if you beat, it's like, oh, you should have. But you can lose to them because they're sneaky good teams. Teams like Ohio are like that. Um, so that's that's kind of not how I would like to see a schedule. I think one really interesting part about the schedule is the two um, December Big Ten games. Um, just kind of wedged in right between, you know, they'll play Syracuse, Purdue, Illinois, and then Ohio. Just like not Ohio State, just Ohio, and then Gardner-Webb and Catholic. <laughs> and it, it's it's a weird, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know how it's going to feel, the environment's going to be like for those games. Because, you know, Purdue coming to Xfinity Center is a big deal. And that's on December 1st. So I, I'm very intrigued to see how that goes. Yeah. I, you know, I'm on the same page as far as the Big Ten games in December. Personally, I'm not a fan. Um, but, A, you know, got to go to New York City, I guess. But uh, <laughs> as far as the non-conference schedule goes, you know, as, a, as I said earlier, I, I think this schedule is, um, you know, it doesn't have the names. I, I think you're right with that. You know, Syracuse is certainly the biggest name on the schedule, and they haven't exactly been fantastic. 
the last few years. But I do think there's a lot of quality mid-majors here where Maryland can really improve its resume. I don't know if uh, that's necessarily a good thing because, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of these are the quote-unquote trap games. But I, I do think this is a schedule where if they if they play their cards right, they can get a really solid resume going into Big Ten play. But, of course, you know, Big Ten play, it's tough. Everyone knows every game is a battle. Um, you're going to have challenging road games. You're going to have challenging home games. Uh, Maryland, they get Michigan State twice. They get Northwestern twice. They get Purdue twice. It's a very difficult schedule, which is different than last year's. What do you make of the Big Ten schedule? I mean, obviously, generally speaking, everyone knows what to expect, but are there any anything that you're looking at uh, coming in or uh, excited about? Um, well, we did talk about those you know, those early games, I'm, I'm just intrigued to see sort of what the environment is surrounding them. Um, you know, if, if it gets the same lead up and fanfare that it would, if it was in February, um, you know, I mean, the conference schedule is, there are never really a ton of surprises, um, in that playing Michigan state twice is obviously, you know, noteworthy. Um, but, yeah, Maryland's just in that sort of thing where beyond, probably beyond Michigan State, there's this big clump of teams that are all good, but we don't, you know, we don't know how good they are. And that's like, that clump is half the conference. So, um, just a lot of games against other teams in that clump. And it, it's it's tough to say now who's actually going to be, which games are going to be tough. Because last year, I remember thinking, Indiana was going to be this marquee matchup, and then it wasn't. Um, so a lot of things happen. Fair enough. Fair enough, yeah. I, I always caution people, you know, don't don't think you have everything figured out before the season. And, you know, the first one is Indiana. You know, they were projected to be a really good team. They ended up in the NIT. And the other thing, too, I, I know Maryland fans, as I'm sure you're aware, do not have a fond history with Ken Palm. Uh, so for fans who are uh, concerned about that, remember Ohio State was ranked 13th on Ken Palm before last season. So um, the rankings aren't exactly uh, perfect. But for those uh, wondering, I, I mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, but Ken Palm has Maryland 9-9 and in the Big Ten. I think that speaks to how challenging this schedule is. You know, we talked about two games against Michigan State, Purdue, and Northwestern. That's six really challenging games right off the bat. Um, they also have a double play with Michigan, which the Wolverines are a little bit of an unknown with, with you know, Walton gone, Wilson gone. But that's eight games against what should be NCAA tournament competition, at least on paper. Um, and then you have to talk about other games. You know, they get a Wisconsin home game. They go on the road against Indiana, which who knows what they'll be like. So I think it's going to be tough, and I, I think I always say this, but – it's really Big Ten play. It always comes down to how do you do in the manageable road games? How do you do at home? If you can protect home court, if you can win road games, you know, for instance, you mentioned those December games. Well, December 1st, they get Purdue at home. December 3rd, they're at Illinois. Both of those games are absolutely winnable. Ken Palm has the Purdue game at 50%, the Illinois game at 65%. So they have a great shot in both those games. You win those two, that's, that's really going to help. And it's games like that that are really going to add up over the course of the season. So should be intriguing, should be fun um, as we move into this season. But 
the last thing I wanted to talk on talk about before we get into our projections um, is the starting lineup. I think most fans sort of have an idea of how this lineup's going to look this season, specifically with the three big guys coming back. Uh, what's your take on the lineup? How do you think it looks on opening night? And what are the spots that you're uh, watching? Um, I think probably the the spot to watch is power forward. Um, so I, I'll, I guess I'll backtrack. So we, I'm, we're pretty sure that the three sophomores are all going to start because they all started every game last year. Um, and Tchaikovsky, if he's healthy, will be the starting center. And that just leaves uh, either small forward or power forward, depending on where you want to put Justin Jackson or shooting guard if you want to put Kevin Herter at the three. And then so it, it's just what do you do with that other spot? Um, and, you know, there's a lot of ways you can go with that, uh, whether you think, you know, you want another ball handler and you want more sell in there, or you want Deion Wiley, or you want another shooter in Jared Nickens, or, or you want another big guy like Bruno Fernando, um, or even Bender. There's just a lot of – I just named half the roster that could take that final starting spot. So it's <laughs> it's just however they – you know, how just what they do with that. I mean, I think – Probably by the end of the year, Fernando should be one of the five best guys. And if not starting, he'll be – that'll be probably their crunch time lineup will be Cowan, Herter, Jackson, Fernando, Tchaikovsky. Um But, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of good things you can see from a lot of other guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the first guys are obvious, you know – the three sophomores are all certainly going to start. And then, as you mentioned, it's just about, do they want to go big? Do they want to go small? You know, where do they think they have the most depth? Um, I, I think Marcel is going to compete for a starting role. I, I think that'll be interesting to watch. But as, as you mentioned, it's really fluid, those last two spots, just because of how things are going to sort out. Um, my my sort of assumption here is I think it's going to be Chavosky or Obi early. And then I think Fernando's gradually going to develop over the course of the season. Um, maybe uh, Turgeon disagrees, but I, I generally think uh, the college coaches are really hesitant to play really young guys early in the season, let them sort of work their way in, even if they're playing starter minutes. So I, I think those will be the guys to watch uh, coming in. And it, it should be interesting, but Maryland certainly has more than enough competent guys to start. But um, Finally, uh, let's get into the, the best part of this these podcasts, uh, season predictions. What do you expect out of the Terps this season? Uh, how do they do in the Big Ten? Do they make the postseason? And if they do, uh, do they make the NCAA tournament? Um, how far do they go? And, you know, we're not asking for a, a record prediction necessarily, but uh, how, do, how do you think things will go for Maryland this season? Well, I mean, a lot of it we've kind of teased. You know, they've – They've made the tournament three years in a row, so not making it would be a disappointment. So I'm going to – we'll say for, for prediction's sake, let's say they probably make it. Um, that would And then for for the Big Ten, we you know, I said earlier that there's this clump that's half the conference, um, and I expect Maryland to be somewhere in that clump. I mean, last year they were a uh, three-seed in the conference tournament, tied for second in the conference, and they've been uh, kind of around that, that spot. Uh, every year, even when their teams haven't been the most talented. So I think uh, they'll, they'll probably end up in a similar spot to that, somewhere around third, fourth in the conference. Um, and then, you know, make it back to the NCAA tournament. And then 
from there, it's just about probably matchups and can they can they get a win? Can they reach the second weekend, which they've only done once in the last three years? Only done once since they won the title back in '02. So it's um, yeah, I mean that's that's something that is probably the goal ultimately. Um, that's at least the lofty one. Um, but I think a toward the top of the Big Ten back in the NCAA tournament season would be probably the most reasonable thing to expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, uh, I'm looking at my projections right here. I have Maryland third. I have them behind Minnesota ahead of Purdue. I think this will certainly be an NCAA tournament team. I think it'll be a team that develops and grows over the course of the season because, you know, even as good as those the big three are, and I, I hate to keep using that big three term, but whatever it fits, uh, <laughs> I, I think as good as they are, they were still sophomores last year. They still have plenty of room to grow and develop. I think this team will be right up there competing in the Big Ten. I don't think they have enough to win the title without somebody really taking a just uh, surprising step forward, but I think they'll make the NCAA tournament. I think they're good enough to make the Sweet 16. If things fall right, they're going to need a favorable draw. They're going to need some solid seeding, which they may or may not get, depending on how non-con goes. But uh, I think this would be a good team. As I said, I think they're going to be a notch below some of the higher-end teams uh, nationally, but I think it should be a, a good season. But um, with that, uh, Thomas, thanks thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, before we let you go, um, any final thoughts here on Maryland, the Big Ten, uh, as we prepare to enter into this season? And um, where can people check out your stuff? Um, yeah, so I don't have the 10 left about in Maryland that we haven't already said. Or that won't be on testudotimes.com. Um, or that I won't be tweeting about at tkendora37. Uh, that's K-E-N-D-Z-I-O-R-A. Long, long, weird, Polish names thing. Um, but, yeah, thanks for having me on. This was fun. Excellent. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Um, but uh, but with that, as a reminder, that's uh, Thomas. He writes for Tostito Times, Maryland's SB Nation site. If you like the Terps, if you're just interested in them at all, highly recommend checking them out. They have a great account. They have great coverage of all the sports, not just hoops. Um, I mean, they have a ton of lacrosse stuff if you're into that. Uh, highly recommend it. But with that, I'm going to call it a night here on the, the podcast. My name is Thomas Bendit. I am the host of our podcast here. You can follow me on Twitter at TBendit. You can follow BT Powerhouse on Twitter at BT Powerhouse. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Check us out. Check out the site. The previews are going up. Just posted Iowa this morning, 6,000 words on the Hawkeyes. There's more than uh, anyone uh, should be reading or writing, but it's there for consumption. Uh, Maryland should be following very shortly. Thanks again to everyone, and we'll see you all next time.